So we are in Revelation chapter 14. God, we know that you're blessing this service. I pray that though based upon American standard, we've ran past time, may we slow our hearts to honor you, to receive from you. May we have eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, ears to hear, feet that went around with obedience. May you transform our lives because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So two weeks ago, we had a powerful, um, what I believe was a powerful understanding of um, Scripture. Where we, were, where we began to challenge the idea of, why do you believe what you believe? Because a lot of what we believe based upon what we believe is the very biblical and truthful statement is we believe what we believe because the Bible is truth and Jesus is who he said he was and he can't be a liar. Jesus resurrected the grave. He performed miracles. He died on the cross for our sins and he's the only way to heaven. Amen? That's truth. We understand that. But there's also a faith aspect of following. So we, we believe these things in faith, but isn't it a little bit deeper than just reading your Bible? Because how many scientists or s smart people who think that they're smart have said that they've read the Bible through and through, but yet they still don't believe in Jesus? So just reading the Bible doesn't mean that you become a Christian, though it's an important part. The Word is living, and the Word can bring transformation to the heart that's fertile. But I ask you, why do you believe what you believe? And that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, because the Antichrist in the end of time, he will breathe life into a fake statue, into this idol. So he will breathe life into this idol, and this idol will come to life. Well, what did Jesus do in, I believe, Genesis chapter, or God do in Genesis chapter 3? He, he breathed life into the dirt, and then you and I were formed out of that. So Adam was formed, and then later out of um, Adam's rib, Eve was formed. So the question is, God breathed life, and life came. And then God gave um, Elisha, Elijah, power to call down um, fire from heaven, right? Well, in the end, the Antichrist will call down fire from heaven. So you start to say, how do we know? Because if we only base what we believe based upon miracles and power, then how do we know we're following the right God? So what we ended up talking about a couple weeks ago is how Islam has their Antichrist and their Antichrist is Jesus. And then the Bible has their Antichrist and their Antichrist is the beast, the devil, coming in as a man that many believe that will operate out of um, Islam. So my question is, how do you know, or my question was, how do you know that you're following the right way? What the conclusion was, was this, is because we get to have a personal relationship with God. When, uh, I've never asked a Muslim this, but when you ask, I've heard people say, when they've asked a Muslim if they've ever communicated, or if uh, Muhammad has ever communicated with them, 
You know what they've said? No. We've never, we've never had that relationship. So for you, what helps you know that you're following the right way? Number one, because the Bible said so. The Bible's relevant. It will always be relevant. It always was relevant. It never changes. Amen? What was in the Bible 6,000 years ago, what is in the Bible today was the same today, yesterday, and forever. Its doctrine does not change. It is, its opinion does not change with culture. Nothing changes God's intent for what the Bible was. Right? Amen. All right. So we're there. So we, we believe that. So then it has to go deeper. And the way that it goes deeper is we have to have a relationship with him during this next season. Either for us, whether the end is with us or whether the end is with our great-great-grandchildren. The end is near, according to Scripture. So for us to understand we're in the right way, we must be able to have a relationship with him and find a private place. So that means sometimes we have to sacrifice listening to um, our favorite music, watching our favorite TV show. There has to be sacrifice. Amen? But is it a sacrifice? You know, there's some things that I'll do, um, I'll do for Macy that she's like, yeah, you did it, but it's not really, it's not really a sacrifice in my opinion. Any spouses relate to that? Like, thanks that you did that. Thank, thanks that you, thanks that you put your shoes up. Thanks that you put your keys up. You don't get a trophy for putting your keys up, buddy. Really? I thought that I got trophies for that. So. So some, some of the things that we do to God that we think are sacrifices aren't really sacrifices. Oh, God, I gave up. I recorded. I recorded my favorite show so that I could watch it later so I could spend time with you. I'm so sacrificial. Or, you know, I'm not going to listen to my favorite radio station or my favorite CD today on the three-minute drive to work because I'm so sacrificial. But is it sacrificial to spend time with your best friend? Is that really a sacrifice? Shouldn't Jesus be our best friend? Shouldn't Jesus be the one that we turn to most often? If he's not the first place, then that's where we're believing a lie. And not only are we believing a lie, then there's a chance that we will be deceived one day. So the sacrifice isn't for him. The sacrifice, because he's so good, is actually for us to know him more so that we can be set free from everything we're worried, fearful, frustrated, or dealing with. Amen? So we shouldn't think that we're sacrificing something un unto him to get to know him more. So that's where we kind of ended last week. So here we are, Revelation chapter 14, verse one. Then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, we, um, yeah, so now those who are sealed by God have a future to look forward to. So these 144,000 are sealed people. Now, here in the first verse, the lamb is standing on Mount Zion with his people. 
It's pretty exciting because being on Mount Zion is symbolic of a position of victory. So the lamb is standing on a mountain with his people. Victory. But the question is, who are these 144,000? Are these 144,000 the same 144,000 that we talked about in chapter 7? And I would say yes. Now, the only thing that's different here is this is from a different vantage point. The Gospels are different vantage points of the life of Christ. This is just a different perspective. You know, maybe the first perspective that we saw in chapter 7 was from ground level, now this is from 2,000 feet in the air. This is just a different perspective. So the lamb is Jesus, and he's standing with his people who have his seal. They are sealed. Again, I don't uh, hold too tightly to um, everything that I stand for here in the book of Revelation, but I do believe that the 144,000 even today are the fullness of the church. Some believe, and I'm not here to have a theological battle because it's not a hill to die on. Some believe that these are 144,000 um, Jews that have been set, set aside for this time. So um, what aids in my belief of the 144,000 being all believers, the fullness of the church. You can go back to Revelation chapter 7 to hear a lot of that. But um, in addition to that, is their foreheads have a specific seal, and this specific seal was also promised to the church in Philadelphia. So what we understand about the church of Philadelphia is in the church of Philadelphia, not every one of them were Jews, correct? So when we went through the seven churches and we got to Philadelphia, not everyone in Philadelphia were Jews. But here, here uh, we see a promise to them about this seal of God. So Revelation 3, um, verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Here's what's said. Jesus says this. I will write on them the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them a new name. This is the seal. He's going to write on them, these believers, his name and his seal. The Father's name is written on their head. Later in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 22, we will also read this. And this is in reference to heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, right? Revelation 22. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So this is in reference to all believers. His name will be on their foreheads. So because this is the new heaven and the new earth, it's not just referencing the Jews. So this is part of why I believe that the 144,000 are not just Jews, but it is the culmination of the whole church. So you and I, when we go to heaven one day, his name will be on our foreheads. Amen? We will be sealed. So what's even more clear, though, is whether your allegiance is with Jesus or the beast, you will have a seal. 
So either you're going to have a seal of his name on your forehead or what we learned last week, the seal of the Antichrist will be on our head. And you start to see the parallels how both kingdoms, God's kingdom and everything else, will have paralleled things, miracles, fake resurrections, breathing life into things, seals. That's why we have to know God. So these redeemed and sealed people will sing a new song. Okay. <laughs> Verse 2. And I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So what I just wanted to note here is these 144,000, according to verse 1, are standing on Mount Zion. We see that in verse 1, right? Where are they standing? They're standing on Mount Zion, but... The way that they honored God in worship took them to a place before the throne. That's interesting, isn't it? Because here's what it says, verse 3, And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. So they're standing on Mount Zion, but their praise took them before the throne. What I think happened last week, is for some of us, and what I think happened this week is as we praised God as believers, we were standing in Mechanicsburg, in Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, in the sanctuary, but we were also brought before the throne. Amen? Psalm 22, 3, New King James, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitants the praise of Israel. In typical language, it would just be God inhabits the praise of his people. So when God inhabits the praise of his people, when we praise him, we're here, but we're also before him. Amen? So if you're down, if you're out, if you're frustrated, if you're lonely, if you're depressed, what should we do? We should worship. We should praise him. We should honor him. Because what scripture promises is that God inhabits the praise of his people. And we see that actually coming to pass. What does Paul do when he's in prison? Tied up, chained to the wall, Paul worships. And what happens when he worships? God shows up. Now, it doesn't mean every time that we praise God that the wall is going to fall down or we're going to get money or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is God showed up. Amen? So our true praise creates spontaneous worship and songs from within us. See, these 144,000 were overwhelmed with a song of praise. Joy and creation rose from within them. These 144,000 understood that Jesus had saved them. So I ask you, 
Do you remember today that Jesus saved you? Do you remember what Jesus has saved you from? And I'll boldly say, any time we cannot praise God, we forget what he has saved us from. Any time we cannot give God honor and glory and praise, we forget what he's done for us. It's not about the song selection. It's not about the lights. Even when I'm trying to say turn down the lights and turn them off, whatever. I'm very highly picky about that. You guys are learning, right? Really appreciate the tech booth for putting up with that. It's not about the song selection or the lights. Praise shouldn't only come when things are going our way. Praise shouldn't only come when our emotions are just right. Praise shouldn't only come when the song is just right. Our praise should always be because of his great sacrifice. So they're singing a song because they remember him. Remember your salvation is only because of his blood that was spilled. So I want, it, I want to be clear about worship. Worship isn't about what happens on Sunday mornings for 40 minutes or the past two weeks, an hour and 30 minutes. It's not, that's not what worship is. Because I would say sometimes we see, when we sing songs in here, we're not worshiping him. Can we be vulnerable enough to say this? Can you guys, there's some Sundays that I come in here and I sing the songs and I'm not worshiping. Anyone else relate? Participating. We need to repent of these things. Worship is a posture of the heart that praises God for his power, his love, his grace, his mercy, and his friendship. Worship is a place of overflow. And here in Revelation 14, John sees a new song rising God's people. And God's people were the only ones who were able to learn it because they were connected with him. Christianity will always be a faith that sings. Amen. Um, it's unique to me that, you know, some people come just for worship. That's not unique because it's like I know the pastor. So some people just come to church and they want to get refreshed and they come to worship and then and they, they leave. Other people come in after worship and they just want to be here for the message. And I'm like, do you know who your pastor is? Either way, what we have to remember is we have to grow in God's word and we have to be discipled in God's word. But also, in Christianity, praise is always a part. For the rest of our life, praise will be at the center of what we do for the rest of eternity. Amen? So we need to begin to practice and grow in the way that we praise him, in the way that we sing to him, in the way that we honor him in those things. Nevertheless, What's unique is in the scripture we see that God sees his people as pure. Now Revelation 14 gives us a pure picture of the way that God sees us. And so far they are redeemed. But now in verses 4 and 5, we will also see ways that he sees his redeemed. This is the way for those who are under the blood of Jesus, this is the way that he sees you today. He sees you as virgins. 
Now, what this is pointing to is he sees you as pure. When God sees his people that are covered, he sees them as pure. He sees them as obedient. He sees them as purchased. He sees them as offered as the best, the first fruit. He sees them as blameless. I'm going to walk you through where I get that right here. Verse 4. These are those who did not defile themselves. So the people who we saw standing here, right? These are those who he saw not defile themselves with women. For they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among the mankind, from among mankind, and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. This is unique because here we see John explaining the way that God sees his people because of his son. I don't believe that this is talking about the 144,000 literal Jews. One of my issues is um, with this being 144,000 literal Jews is how did these 144,000 have this purity? I mean, whatever, you can remain celibate your whole life. You can be a virgin your whole life, fine, whatever, right? But were they 100% obedient? Were they purchased? Were they offered as the best? And then maybe they, all those things are true, but the 144,000 were certainly not blameless, right? There's no way anyone could ever be blameless. So that's why I have an issue with this being literal Jews. It has to be pointing to something different and further because according to Scripture, we know that they couldn't be blameless because Romans 3.23 tells us what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have to look deeper than the 144,000 being Jews because they're not perfect. So for them to be considered virgins, obedient, purchased, offered as the best, and blameless, they had to have the blood of Jesus credited to them. Will you hear that today? Right now, you know all of your inadequacies and your failures. You know all your weaknesses and fears. But one day, he will present you as pure, obedient, purchased. He will offer us as the best, the first fruits. And we will be blameless before Jesus. Amen? Isn't that good news? Jude, verse 24. It's weird writing that, Jude, verse 24. Because um, usually it's like Jude 1, or, but there's only one. So you don't put one, one chapter. It's just weird. So Jude 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Amen? He is able, Jesus is able to do that, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That alone should cause us to endlessly worship. You will be presented before God without fault and with great joy. You know yourself. You know your sin this morning. You know your sin yesterday. You know your fears and anxiousness. When you and I are presented before him, blameless, pure, first fruits, 
Amen? We continue to learn here, Revelation chapter 14, that God is fair and he is just. The vision begins to introduce us to six angelic messengers. They will bring blessings and curses. They will bring the gospel and judgment. Not one person will be able to stand up to God and say that they were treated unfair or never had a chance. God will make sure that everyone has a chance to know him in life. God has made sure that everyone will get to know him. And here's what it says in verse 6. Then I saw another angel in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Now this angel comes and preaches the good news of Jesus. And this is actually the first time in Scripture that an angel has been commissioned to preach the good news because it is actually our job to do it first. Do you guys believe that? Because sometimes it feels like the only messengers that we feel the only messengers are the elders or the deacons or the pastor or the evangelist. You are called to be a messenger of the good news of Jesus. This is the only time in Scripture we see the angels being called to do it. But Mark 16, 15, this is for you and I. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's your job, to go into the whole world and preach God's news. 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So be ready in season and out of season. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the angel's doing it here in Revelation, but it's our job until we get to that point. And even at that point, to never stop. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. That's our job. So during the very end of time, the angel will come and proclaim the gospel to those who are here on earth. Verse 7. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens, the earth and the sea and the springs of the water. So his message, this angel's message is pretty clear. And we're going to stop today after this first angel. We'll pick up the next, next week. His message is clear. And your message can be clear as well. So, number one, we preach the message because we understand what we deserve. When he sees us, he sees us as pure. Amen? We don't deserve that. So that should give us the thankfulness, the motivation to go out and say, because he was so faithful in my life, I have to let my neighbor know of his faithfulness for them. Because heaven is real and hell is real, and I can't let anyone not know about the message of Jesus because I don't want them to go to hell. 
So because he sees us as pure, we become thankful, we understand it, we don't forget about it. So then what we do is not only do we worship him, but then we speak of his goodness. Now this angel is going to come and preach, but it's not the angel's job to preach, it's our job to preach, and we just went through that. So here's how simple the angel's message was. Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of judgment is near. That's how simple it was. Fear God, give him glory, because judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of the water. So the approach that this angel takes is something that we should look at. We should consider how he preaches the gospel. First, we point people to do this. Fear God and give him glory. This is to point to a life of submission and honor towards God. So, look, God created, look, uh, Jerry, whoever I'm talking to, Jerry, God created the heavens and the earth. And as quickly as he created it, he can quickly destroy it. How powerful thunderstorms are and earthquakes and tornadoes, all that comes, all that power comes from him. And the power that he has to bring life, he also can bring death. And one day he's going to separate those who don't put their faith in him in hell for eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And maybe weeping and gnashing of teeth might not seem scary to you, Jerry. But imagine the worst pain that you've ever been in times a billion, times a billion, times a billion. Do you want to deal with that? And if he says he doesn't want to deal with that, hit him in the face and then ask him if that hurt. And then say, do you want to deal with that a million more times? I'm just seeing if you guys are awake. Because <laughs> a lot of y'all look like you're sleeping in the Holy Spirit. You're just soaking in his presence. So what we do is we point people to Jesus. We point people to fear God and give him glory. Next, we point people to how quickly judgment is coming. Life is nothing but a mist here on earth. Haven't we learned that by now? All of us in this room should have learned that. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We were once in elementary school. Now we're 80 years old, right? It just happened overnight. So we point people to how quickly judgment is coming. Finally, we point people to how he is the creator. He created the heavens, the earth, the water, and the people. So the beginning of all wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. And we see the angel operating out of that. Scripture continually builds upon one another. The beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And what we see the angel doing is helping people understand the beginning of all wisdom. Fear God and give him glory. So the angel, fear God, give him glory. Judgment is coming. And then look, because you should fear him, because judgment is coming. He is the creator. He really is. And then we go into how he's the creator. See, Paul, throughout his time, um, while, he would, while he was preaching, in the Old Testament, he, would, uh, he talked to the Jews because they believed in, oh, sorry. Paul would start in the Old Testament with the Jews because the Jews understood the scripture. They understood Old Testament scripture extremely well, right? So Paul would start in the Old Testament with them. But with um, the Greeks and the pagans, 
the Gentiles, he would start with creation. And, he start, and we see this in Acts chapter 14 and 17. So he started with creation because they needed to learn that God is the creator. So I wonder if the best place that we start with sharing the gospel is like this angel. Fear God, honor him, and then share about how he created all of us. So there's a lot more. We're going to get to that next week. So Father, I pray that we would remember you this week. We would remember your sacrifice for us, that you see us as virgins and pure and holy. Father, that we are people that are marked by you. And Father, because of that, may we um, share your good news and worship you. Make it clear to us what we need to say to people. In Jesus' name, amen.